Last season on Legacy Door. The prisoner woke from a nightmare to find his waking body unfamiliar. He flexed his hands, but the fingers felt flabby and weak. And yet he knew these fingers. Had felt through them before. I had a dream. She's going to kill me. Were you Frank again? I'm pretty sure I was. Then were they going to kill him or you? Both of us, but in different ways. She, the masked woman, she could see both of us. Legacy Door, episode 3.1, Notifying. The prisoner, sometime later. He awoke again and his body felt a lot more familiar. He made fists and the fingers felt right. But when he opened his eyes, they still saw only darkness. And as he tried to move his head, a dizzy nausea overcame him. There was still something wrong with him but it felt very different from what had been wrong before. The lapse of time between now and before seemed like ages. Ages of watching and feeling and never quite doing. Ages full of people, familiar and not. Sometimes he wanted to scream at them, but he couldn't, and they paid no attention. Perhaps they were too far away to see the real him behind the false eyes. He couldn't even control where his eyes looked, and so, too often... They were looking at the hard, unwelcoming faces of people he wouldn't want to know. And every once in a while, they looked at Vanessa. But she, as always, was wrapped up in her own traumas. Why was he thinking of her? Of dreams of her, instead of the reality he was trapped in? Was he still clinging to the hope that this dark world was the nightmare? If so, what did it mean? That the only other existence he could remember was so barren of human connection. Justin Brandt, 4.53 p.m. I was planning on a rare 5 o'clock escape from my office, having come in early, and also having to plan and cook a dinner for Jaina that should be at least well underway by the time she arrived. I'm not opposed to bonding as we chop vegetables normally, but since time was tight, I'd want to get into my story right away, and would rather she didn't have a sharp knife in her hand as I told it. That's where my mind was when I got a message from Haley Davis. Won't have any kind of write-up for you until tomorrow. Ran out of time. Question, though. You said current status. Did you know this guy is dead? Instantly, I was on my feet and speed-walking. My hallway, which was not our most opulent, but was at least designed so a client and a lawyer could walk side by side, narrowed into a labyrinth of partitions winding back through the workspaces of the paralegals and assistants. It was all a blur, until I was looking at the back of Haley's impeccable coif. I smell Axe body spray, she sing-songed as she typed. That you, Justin? I don't use Axe, but it wasn't the time to fight that battle. Yeah, are you sure you got the right guy? Her fingers froze mid-stroke. Then she raised her hand and rotated her chair. I know he's the guy you told me about. Francis Lutcher. Brother, sister, niece, nephew, all check out. Age just a couple years off your estimate. There's no other combo like that. I swear, Justin, if you've wasted my time, today of all days, plus had me log hours for something non-productive. The partners look at that stuff, you know, when it's annual review time. Okay, I said, hands up in surrender. I might be jumping to conclusions. Dead when? 
found by police seven hours ago, she said without checking any notes, which meant she was looking right at me as I felt a shiver go up my spine. Cleaning lady found him first and called them. Cause of death, unknown. Where? I demanded, sounding more urgent than I meant to. The problem, I now realized, wasn't that she had the wrong guy, but that she had the right one, and the implications put my brain into survival mode. At his residence in White Meadow, Minnesota. Second-story apartment in a two-story building. Small, cheaply but eclectically furnished, above a laundromat. I can look up the address if you need it before my report. I shook my head, trying to minimize the personal stakes I'd made too plain earlier. No need. Thanks for the heads up. He's still relevant, but it can wait until you have time tomorrow. I'm heading out soon. Haley nodded, looking like she was inwardly debating further questions. When she spoke, it was with the softer, sympathetic tone she sometimes used with witnesses. You're not in some kind of trouble, are you, Justin? I shrugged and kept up my casual act. They pay me to walk on a tightrope. This time they're paying more, and the tightrope is thinner. I'm very grateful for all you're doing. Please let me know if you learn anything about that school friend. She nodded again. She did not ask if there was anything she could do to help. I did not tell her she was better off staying out of it. We had worked well together within a clear set of rules. We each knew we would bend them for the other, but neither of us was eager to throw the rule book away and make things entirely personal. Okay. Cool. Thanks again. See you tomorrow. Take care. I nodded my thanks for the sentiment, then turned and took a few steps towards my office. I looked back at the first turn and saw that she was already focused back on her screen and her own problems. Legacy Door will return in one minute after a short message from an exciting new podcast. With your long-forgotten name, we call upon you. We call upon you. In the words of the unspeakable language, we call upon you. We call upon you. By the spilt blood of the wicked who walk upon this world sprouting the words of false idols, we call upon you. We call upon you. On the land of the dead harvest, that which brings the earth itself into your service, Yamal, we call upon you. We call upon you. We call upon you. We call upon you. Yamal calls upon the Sprouting, a Call of Cthulhu actual play podcast by Blighthouse Studio. Find us on your podcatcher of choice. Joyce Vera, 5.52 p.m. Throughout Vanessa's increasingly unusual story, Joyce was careful neither to discourage her claims nor to express a belief in them. The latter was easy because she wasn't inclined to feel such a belief. She was confident that Vanessa wasn't consciously deceiving her, but something within Joyce feared the possibility that Ven was crazy and had kidnapped or murdered Dan. Perhaps that bruise on her jaw was from a defensive struggle on his part, one of his last actions before she took him down. And now Vanessa had either forgotten or mentally rewritten those events. Believe women, Joyce told herself. All she had was Vanessa's story, contradicted only by Joyce's sense of the normal and the popular belief that ladies be crazy. And even if Ven was crazy, Joyce reasoned that staying close to her could be the best way to figure things out. Joyce rated herself a harder target to entrap than Dan would have been. He had height and reach, 
but his dick brain would make it a lot easier for someone like Vanessa to coax him into a vulnerable position. Vanessa had been completely frank about her activities with Dan. She'd also been completely mortified, so Joyce had done her best to project a non-judgmental attitude that she did not feel. Joyce had grown up with a lot of cousins, some of whom had turned out quite handsome, and the thought of getting naked with any of them revolted her. But be that as it may, the end of Vanessa's story left several mysteries unsolved, so Joyce focused there. You said that you and Dan talked over the dreams, and the dynamics among the families, but did you talk over the immortality thing? What it might actually be? No, I guess we didn't even know where to start with that. I was hoping that we'd find it when we looked over the other stuff, or that Dan would dream about it. Joyce nodded, accepting the logic. It would be hard to avoid magical thinking when they were dealing with what appeared to be magic. That gave her an idea. Okay, in order to accept what you've said, I have to also accept that something, uh, not supernatural. Um, paranormal is at work. But I also have to believe that the world is mostly normal, that openly paranormal things aren't happening to everyone all the time. Would you agree with that? Vanessa nodded slowly. Joyce was glad to see a crinkle in her forehead, showing she was thinking hard. In that case, it seems like any theory where there's just one paranormal phenomenon is superior to a theory where there are multiple phenomena, all other things being equal. Vanessa nodded again, still thinking hard, but apparently not ahead of Joyce yet. So if we assume that this immortality thing is also paranormal, and not just good diet and exercise, then the superior theory would be that the immortality and the dreams are part of the same phenomenon. Vanessa blinked for a few moments. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. I guess I assumed that they were connected on some level, but I didn't really think it through. So I suppose the next question is, how are they connected? Yeah, I haven't really started on that yet. Vanessa looked up at the ceiling and mused. After I laughed at Abby and asked why my mom and Uncle Thomas were dead if they had the secret of eternal life, she said it wasn't like that. So I don't know. To the extent I thought about that at all, I assumed it was a cure for illness and aging, but wouldn't protect you from knives or cars. Some kind of medicine? Like maybe what that lawyer is supposed to deliver to Abby's father. Vanessa's eyes went wide. Yeah, but what would the medicine have to do with the dreams? Yeah, that's tricky. Well, them being connected was just an Occam's razor thing. It's not necessarily definitive. No, you were absolutely right about that. I know the truth about these things once I hear it. Oh, good. More paranormal activity. <laughs> or the same phenomenon connected, like you said. Maybe I have the dreams too, but I don't consciously remember them. Huh. Do you remember any of your dreams? Almost never. Not for more than a few seconds. Ever keep a dream journal? No. Might start. Yeah, I guess it's a little scary to think of having dreams like Dan's, but it's definitely worth trying. There was a moment of silence as they both tried to think of the next thing. And in that moment, Joyce realized that somewhere in the past few minutes, she'd stopped doubting. She was now on Vanessa's crazy team. As if to mark that realization, a beep emitted from Vanessa's purse. Ven pulled out her iPad and checked it. She looked intrigued for a moment, then shocked. 
She missed the top of the purse when trying to slide the tablet back in and just barely stopped herself from dropping it onto the hard floor. What is it? My uncle is dead. But you said... Wait. You mean Frank? Frank's dead? That doesn't make sense. But it does fit with Dan's dream. He said the alien woman saw him inside Frank and was going to kill them both. How's that for immortality? Sorry about your uncle. I don't give a fuck about him. I'm worried about Dan. Again, they fell into silence. Joyce grasped at an idea. Gina, she said that the Lutcher Sibs, Thomas and Therese, were trying to escape something, and it caught up with them. And now it seems like it caught up with Frank, too. That clears the board for that whole generation. And so now Dan and I inherit it. When Harrison died, Dan stopped dreaming of being Harrison and started dreaming of being Frank. And now, <laughs> wow, I'd really love to know who he dreams about next. Damn you, Dan. Wait. What? Brant wrote that Frank was found dead this morning. He might have died last night while Dan and I were sleeping. Maybe Dan had a dream about someone new after Frank died, but before I saw him leave. Maybe that's what changed him. But we still don't know what kind of change. But we know what it's not. He didn't just see something that scared him. He didn't see something that tempted him. Something just overrode his whole personality, at least for long enough to talk to me and leave the room. Are you sure you know him well enough to- Don't doubt my powers. Joyce raised her eyebrows. I need to believe in them, or I'm at sea. But you check my work. You've spent a lot more time with adult Dan than I have. Does Dan leaving the way he did, and by that I mean in the precise way he did, fit with the Dan you know? Joyce tried to imagine Brenda's moody former beloved acting like Dan had in Vanessa's story, and she couldn't do it. If what you described is accurate. Vanessa flinched at Joyce's expression of doubt. Joyce swallowed and continued. And don't worry, I'm all in on believing you. Then no, I can't see it. Even if he rehearsed it as a scene, he's not that good an actor. Oh my god. When we were kids, Jules would try to get us all to do little plays she made up, and getting Dan to play his part was like pulling teeth. And normally he'd do anything for her. Joyce chuckled. I can picture it. Oh my god, I fucked that little boy. Every man a woman has sex with was once a little boy. And those women having the sex were once little girls. Growing up matters. But I knew him then. That used to be the standard, before we started using college and the workplace as genetic mixing bowls. Joyce hoped for a smile here, but instead Vanessa bit her upper lip, holding something back. That would be the cousin thing, Joyce guessed. She decided to short-circuit this shame spiral by returning to facts. Okay, all we know about this new Dan is the note, and what we experienced when he was with us. You said you heard him sifting the wastebaskets. Ven took a breath, shook off whatever she was thinking about, and nodded. And your working theory was he was looking for what? The car key? Vanessa nodded slowly, her eyes lighting up again. But that was before I saw that other stuff in the car. And before you told me he was looking for his laptop. Which means that he can't have been looking for the key because at that moment he didn't know there was a car key. Right. So it's like what you and Dan talked about, when he was afraid someone could see through his eyes. They'd know random stuff about you two, but maybe not specifics like where your motel was or how you got there. 
Apply that here. New Dan wakes up. He knows who you and Dan are, but that's it. What's he thinking? Vanessa swallowed and closed her eyes, concentrating, in a calm pose that was crossed by a twinge of anxiety or shame with each detail she thought of. If he opened his eyes, he'd see that cheap motel room. He'd see that both of us were naked. He'd assume we had sex. Fair. And so he'd get up. If he's part of the conspiracy, he'd want to know what we know. So he'd look for Dan's laptop to see what he'd set down, which I think was basically nothing anyway. I guess he'd want my iPad, too. As Ven paused, Joyce added, But he doesn't find Dan's laptop, and he doesn't take your tablet. Maybe he wants to avoid a confrontation? So what is he looking for, then? Maybe he's collecting everything that looks like it's Dan's. Maybe he's looking for a key, but without really being sure it exists. Or, I don't know, if I were a detective, searching the room where I suspected two people had sex, I'd look for condoms. condoms. They both said at once. Vanessa opened her eyes, looking enthralled by the possibility. You said you didn't have any. Yeah, that's why we didn't do any PNV. <laughs> so he wouldn't have found any. And not finding something takes a while because you have to check everywhere. But you two were clearly intimate. Why would he be looking for proof? The legacy. Genetics. They thought we had sex. They wanted to know if the sex had been protected. They were already interested in the idea of Dan and me having a baby. It was in the trust. Then, surprisingly, seemed more excited than disgusted by this insight. Joyce found herself smirking despite herself. Those fuckers. Look at them one way, and they're this ominous secret cabal with magic powers. Look at them another, and they're dirty old men checking the garbage for dried cum. Vanessa chuckled, then frowned absently and asked, Old men? Why do you say that? Well, for the face of the conspiracy, we've got Frank, Abby's dad, and your dad. I guess there's the young blondes Dan met and Harrison's mom, and none of them are old men, but we don't know how they fit in. I guess if they're into some sort of Dune-style genetic planning, then Harriet Reese having Harrison with Frank must have been part of it, and had the weird eyes. So she's in it, to some extent. Wait. The weird eyes. The masked person Dan saw at your house had them, and Harriet had them in her masked picture. But then later she didn't. Maybe those eight... Oh, shit. All right. Aliens... That Dan described, the cone-shaped ones in the dreams with all the tall buildings, possess people for a while and then leave. Maybe that's what happened to Dan. Vanessa bit her lower lip this time, not holding back, engaged. I'm not... I didn't get a good look at his face that morning, but from what Dan said, it seems those eyes were something you'd notice right away in person, and I didn't notice anything, but I was barely awake. Inconclusive. But promising. It ties up the dreams with what may have happened to Dan. But we're still nowhere on the immortality and the family lines. Maybe. Maybe what they're breeding for is some sort of compatibility with the aliens. You said in Dan's dreams, the alien would call Frank and the others like him legatees. Did you look that word up? It means someone who receives a legacy. I thought so. So, the legacy they're passing down is the connection to the aliens. 
Which is connected to immortality how? I don't know. I mean, they're aliens, so it could be anything. Super medicine, like we said before. Robot bodies. Ascending to some higher plane. Anything. But you said before, all the paranormal stuff should be one thing. One phenomenon that science hasn't figured out yet. It's the dreams and the immortality at the same time. Well, like I said, that was a guideline. Could be there's more than one paranormal thing. Then we're back where we started and the world is meaningless. You sound like a high school freshman who just discovered philosophy. Vanessa shook her head. I'm stuck back there in a lot of ways. Scared, lonely, horny, and 14. Grabbing hold of Dan because he's there and feeling the same way. Oh god, this is so much. Can I hug you if I promise to behave myself? Vanessa Dorn, 6.07pm. Come here, said Joyce, rising to her feet. Even as Vanessa felt comforted by Joyce's arms enfolding her waist, she suppressed a tremor. That was exactly what Dan had said one day earlier. But she forgot it all for a moment and put her own arms around the other woman's shoulders. Warmth. Comfort. Comradeship. The legatees had whatever they had, but at least she had this. After a timeless moment, she was ready to think again. She dropped her arms and Joyce unwrapped hers. Butter? Much. Thank you for all of this. Ven squeezed both of Joyce's hands. I feel 100% more centered than when we started talking. Even if the situation is looking scarier and scarier. Question is, what's our next step to figure it out? Vanessa closed her eyes, ran a hand over her face, and opened them again. Aunt Gina, she's been around this for decades. Maybe she knows more about it. <sighs> hmm. She did seem alarmed to hear that Frank was around. But after that, she moved on very casually. I'd say she doesn't have more than a funny feeling that he was up to no good. Maybe she'd have valuable clues if we need to check a fact, but only stuff she doesn't know she knows. You know? If she was aware Dan was stepping into something dangerous, I'm sure she would have warned him away. Vanessa bit her lip. She was scared to talk to Gina anyway, but unexpectedly she felt a compelling impulse to do just that. Do you have her number? Joyce looked surprisingly pleased that Vanessa was going against her advice. Sure. Joyce pulled the number up on her phone and showed it to Ven, who dialed it on hers then and there. She might be at work. Listening to the ringing, Vanessa said, I'm just going to leave a message. Establish a channel of communication. Might make things more natural once we need something specific. Hello? Hello, Aunt Gina? This is Vanessa. Vanessa Dorn? Child! What a surprise! And I was just talking... Wait, is something wrong? Is your father okay? Dad's fine, but I do have some sad family news. Is now a good time, or should we talk later? Um, I only have a minute. The sound of a PA in the background suggested she was at a hospital. But you better tell me. Us mothers know how to worry. It's Uncle Frank. He died this morning. I figured you would want to know. Huh. And that was it. Of all the people who might have been honestly sad about Frank's death, Vanessa would have bet on Dan's mom, but... 
Apparently even she couldn't feel it. Well, he lived the life he wanted to live, I guess. The picture of the younger, looser Frank standing with Harriet Reese came to Vanessa's mind. Was he always like he was later? I've heard that back, well, before I knew him, he was different. Um, yeah, that's true. Tell them I'll be right there. Uh, Sorry, honey, everything's fallen apart here. Yeah, the first couple times I met him, he was nicer, still not what I'd call normal. Very nervous, and he was already obsessed with occult stuff, dreams and drugs and things. Then he met this woman no one knew, and he disappeared for a while. When he came back, he was pretty much the Frank you remember. The possibilities this information raised flooded Vanessa's brain so fast that she found it hard to grab onto any of them. Fortunately, Gina continued. Tom told me Frank had never been that nervous when they were kids, but their dad had. Tom was afraid it was congenital. Dan gave us a couple of scares that way, but we kept our fingers crossed, and he seems... Well, you never know. Is there some wood near you? Vanessa walked over to Roy's work table and wrapped it with her knuckles. Knocking now. Thank you, sweetie. (laughs) It's great talking to you, but I really have to go. How did you get picked to call? Well, most of my family is out of town on one thing or another, and Dad's been sick, or I'm sure he would have called. Maybe he still will if he's better in a couple days. The last was a deliberate attempt to forestall Gina from calling him. Oh, I see. Right. Dan said he was in a wheelchair. Was your dad the one who told you about how Frank used to be? No, said Vanessa, then mouthed a curse at herself, wishing she had just gone with Gina's expectations, as she had with Julia's and Joyce's about modeling. But in that moment, no part of her wanted to lie to her aunt. I've been talking about family history, she began, feeling like she herself was in a nightmare, unable to stop herself from getting to the one subject she wanted to avoid. With Dan. Oh! I see. I guess you've been seeing more of him because of his job. Yes. That's nice, said Gina, with a sincerity that hurt Vanessa's heart. I always thought it was too bad you two weren't better friends, being the same age and all. Oh, when I think of all the times Sandra and I had to separate you. (laughs) If you ask me, you were too much alike. But I guess time has changed you both, so now things can be more sedate. I hope so, anyway. (laughs) My people have all passed, so when I'm gone, you'll be the only real family he has. Vanessa, emotion welling up inside her, did not trust herself to reply to this. There was a long pause. Well, now I'm running off at the mouth and everyone is waiting on me. I'll talk to you later, sweetie. My best to everyone, especially your mother and father. Vanessa said, thank you, but did not promise to convey this to them. It's been great talking to you, Aunt Gina. Yeah, okay, bye. Vanessa took a deep breath and blew it out slowly through barely parted lips. Joyce, who had heard only one side of the conversation, observed, Sounds like you got a lot more than you expected. Vanessa nodded slowly, wiping her eyes with the heels of her hands. Yeah, I guess some kind of jackpot, but I still don't know what it means. Joyce made a circular wave towards herself with her right hand. Bounce it off me. That's what I'm here for. Vanessa blew out another constricted breath, faster, and felt ready. You have been listening to Legacy Door, Episode 3.1, 
notifying. Jamie Wren was the prisoner. John Dre was Justin Brandt. Song Marshall was Haley Davis and Gina Lutcher. Jamie Gosling was the primary narrator. Michelle Limone was Joyce Vera. And Stacey Tappan was Vanessa Dorn. The opening music was Ethereal Thoughts by Victor Wayne. The closing music is Daylight, also by Wayne. You can hear more from him on Toon Tank. The Legacy Door cover photograph is by Roxana Nash. This episode's cover image is Remote Control by Sten Ritterfield. You can find more of his images on Unsplash. Our body count of dead and missing characters has been increasing lately, after a fairly long period of peace, so our various investigators will have to decide how far into this dangerous business they're willing to go in our next episode, Consultation. In the meantime, you can consult with us at our website, LegacyDoor.wordpress.com, which includes links to our social media accounts on Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon, and Facebook. You can also review us in Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, purchase the novel from Amazon, or the audiobook at online stores including Audible. Legacy Door is presented by Dueling Genre Productions, home of many fine podcasts, and was brought to you with support from Blight House Studio and their podcast, The Sprouting. Legacy Door is copyright 2021 by Bob J. Kester, all rights reserved. This is Bob J. Kester. Thank you for listening.